crypto isn't here to make you rich. It's here to set you free. These protocols that just by existing, just by people using them, they make the world a better place. And I think that's so mind-blowing to me. When it finally clicked for me, I was like, holy, holy, holy shit, what have I been doing my entire life? Hello and welcome to DeFire, the podcast that is like your smart friend who quit his job and is doing full-time crypto now. My name is Jonas and today we have this gentleman on the show. Hi, I'm Rez. I am super passionate about the carbon markets and I want to figure out how to use crypto in order to unfuck the planet. In this conversation with Rez, I learned a lot about a new movement called ReFi, short for Regenerative Finance. ReFi is all about using the same powerful market mechanics that we all know from crypto to increase demand for doing something good in the real world. Of course, we're talking about carbon credits on the blockchain and how they get on there. We are talking about projects such as Toucan and KlimaDAO that make this all possible. And at the end, Rez shares some insights in his new venture, Solid World, that will finance projects such as planting trees in the Amazon and other nature-based solutions to combat climate change. But before we start, let me tell you about my other project. CryptoValley.jobs is my job board. And if you are looking for a job, if you are specifically an engineer who knows a little bit about solidity or some DeFi stuff, your talents are needed. Please don't look further. Go to CryptoValley.jobs and make a job seeker profile. It's super easy. On the top right on your mobile phone, there's this little user icon. Click on there. There it says sign up, then you see a form, just fill in the form with your basic data. You don't have to be from Switzerland, you just need to have talent. Fill in this form. I talked to a ton of interesting companies during this year and everybody's looking for some good talent. Sign up there and maybe I can get your job, just maybe. And else you always get the emails as well. You can pick and choose and you can just apply for whatever you like. So if you are an engineer in DeFi, go on CryptoValley.jobs. People are needing you right now. That's CryptoValley.jobs. And now let's start the show. So yeah, Res, how would you introduce yourself? I can maybe give a short intro mm -hmm. of what I know. We, we met at the Ethereum yeah. conference in Rio. And I noticed that you're super um, knowledgeable and incredibly passionate about carbon credits on the blockchain. And <laughs> yeah. you use that word that stuck with me. You want to unfuck the planet. And also, and I thought that's funny, in the two first minutes of our conversation, you somehow managed to tell me that you are vegan, which I thought was funny. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> because surely you know the joke. How do you know if someone is a vegan? Yes, they will tell you. Uh... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't think that many people these days know that about me. It's mostly something that ends up coming out when we go to a restaurant and I can't find anything to eat or something. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and also it was funny because you said, I really hate to do this, Yeah, exactly. but uh, I'm vegan. And yeah. I think we were talking about how can you be, you know, like so dedicated to unfuck the planet and then fly to Rio from Estonia, which is yeah. really far. Yeah, yeah. And how much do you know how much CO2 will be produced in such a flight? The total flight, I can't be sure. The carbon footprint of that uh, should be back and forth somewhere a bit under a ton of carbon. For, for you, for one for person. Uh, it... After this interview, Rez did some fact checking. Apparently, a flight from Estonia to Rio and back emits around 3.5 tons of CO2 per passenger. He also mentioned that emissions at high altitudes are almost twice as bad when it comes to global warming. So with that in mind, let's keep going. One ton. And that's literally, when you say a ton, it's literally like a ton like in weight yes. of air. Of CO2. Of gas. CO2. So, yes. Like if uh, you would put that on top of you, it would crush you. It's so much, <laughs> such a huge volume must it be as well, right? But it would crush you. It would, yeah. I think a lot of people don't really think about that properly. Well, it's kind of invisible, right? Every decision we make in our everyday life, the things we consume, everything has a ecological cost to making it. 
there's no equivalent of this calorie counter that you have on food that tells you, you know, how many calories is in it. We're not very good at giving this sort of an environmental impact a number in the first place because it's more than CO2. It's the ground we dig up. It's, you know, forests we chop down. And yes, this does come with a CO2 footprint, but that's not even the full picture. Crypto and unfucking the planet, how does that go together? For a lot of people out there listening, and especially people who are not so well educated about it, mm -hmm. are making this association with blockchain, NFT, crypto, evil, bad for the environment. I think just reducing the entire crypto scene down to the footprint caused by Bitcoin mining is a really myopic way to view the ecosystem. And why I really like crypto is, I think I can summarize it in two quotes. The first is, crypto isn't here to make you rich, it's here to set you free. The second is, crypto is an amazing tool to align incentives. That is what I think it does the best. Because of this, we have this emerging section of the crypto space that is commonly known as regenerative finance or refi. In refi, the point is that we want to set people free. <laughs> hmm. We want to create these protocols that just by existing, just by people using them, they make the world a better place. And I think that's so mind blowing to me. When it finally clicked for me, I was like, holy, holy, holy shit. Like what have I been doing my entire life? Why haven't I been doing this the entire time? Wow. Res, I, I think now we have a very tight line to walk because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it, I, I'm not sure if you have ever seen like uh, Silicon Valley, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they, they make sure. like every startup and we Let's want save to make the world. The world <laughs> we make the world a better place by cloud computing or, or yeah, just by, like... by highly scalable cloud computing <laughs> and interoperability we can exactly. make the world a better place yeah exactly exactly yeah. so i think i think you have a lot there's a lot to unpack there mm. and this whole podcast will be about that actually um, super excited but let's start a little bit with you res mm -hmm. i mean you come from estonia mm -hmm. you are I don't know how old you are, but I would say you are somewhere in the 20s. Late 20s, yeah. Late 20s, okay. Mm -hmm. And you have been studying computer science. That I also figured out. Is that correct? Yes. How did you know? I went do on I, Do I just like wear it on my <laughs> sleeve? It feels like it. Yeah. And, and by the way, I don't know if, if you like that, but you, you somehow remind me a little bit of Charles Hoskinson, visually. <laughs> <laughs> has someone I, ever told I, I'll you that? I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. But have you I, ever heard give, that? Give them the image. No, I, I don't think I have. It's an interesting comment. I have the vibe of a person that's into computer science, is what you're the, telling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a smart guy and definitely passionate. I think this is already established. But what else should we establish to give a little bit background story of who you are? Okay, for the past few years, I've been working as a data scientist at a company that builds software for farmers. At some point, this company that I was working at, we realized the potential of giving farmers money in order to change their practices and in order to benefit essentially the planet by giving them incentives to be more regenerative, be more mm -hmm. positive for the planet. But wait a second. First of all, what what is this? What did the software do? And oh, it's a farm management system, like you know, uh, like Farmville. <laughs> Farmville. <laughs> no, Farmville it's like you life. know, it, it's a it's a platform where you track all of your farm related data, specifically for crop farming. So you have all of your fields in the system. You can see what you've done. You can see the history of everything that you've tried out. You can try and uh, dig into the data, understand where you've went right, where you've gone wrong. You mm -hmm. get this general understanding looking back at what has worked. And this is part of the, how the software helps you. Uh, so it's generally, like an analytics tool, like yeah, Google uh, Analytics for your farm. Yeah, partially it's an analytics tool. It's a government reporting tool. It's a single source of truth for everything on your farm. And do you, do you know a lot of stuff about farming now? Now I do. 
Yeah, now you do. I, I could talk your ear off just about farming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. uh, well, farming's super cool. Our food has to come from somewhere, and I, I think it's a very important industry, and often doesn't I think get the amount of appreciation that it actually deserves. Uh, but uh, farmers are doing a very important job, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's also an invisible job, so no one kind of really realizes this on a daily basis. Of you know, someone had to grow this. The yeah. pasta I'm eating, you know, someone had to plan uh, when to grow the wheat. The, the uh, pasta tree. <laughs> the pasta tree. Yes, <laughs> you had to, you know, tend your pasta tree and make sure you know this uh, dried pasta doesn't uh, fall off the tree too early. You have to collect it. You know, it's it's a lot of work, but yeah, uh, yeah you know. <laughs> Great. No, yeah. cool. And so, so yeah, I think that paints a good picture. So, and then you've seen. Then you, the other thing you said is like you, you've seen that somehow you can incentivize farmers to do even better, mm-hmm. to, to to do less harmful. Can, can you make like very uh, like concrete? What what were they do? What are they doing wrong? What are the farmers doing wrong? I wouldn't say necessarily that they're doing anything wrong. It's just if you have a profit motive, and you know farming is a business fundamentally. And uh, often the answer is you do the things that make you money and you don't do the things that necessarily are good for you in the long run, but not in the short run. This is how we have set up like capitalist incentives, right? Yeah. So one of the things that uh, farmers really depend on is their soils. If you do a lot of intensive farming, your soils will degrade over time if you don't take care of them. And as your soils degrade, the amount of now, this is, this is how we finally maybe get to carbon, but uh, the amount of organic carbon in your soils goes down huh. over time if you're not taking care of your soils. This means that these fields will no longer yield as much. These short-term behaviors of trying to extract as much money as you can out of the soil, as a business decision, even like in a 10-year view, this might be completely reasonable. But the thing is that you're almost taking a loan from the future in order to do this. The second thing is, as your soils degrade, you also release CO2 into the air. That's part of what causes global warming. Farming, even excluding animal agriculture, is still a big source of uh, CO2 emissions in the world. And uh, that's not even like the farts of the the, the, the cows, which yeah, are... Yeah, yeah, no farts included. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like just for plants. Yeah, no like fart. no farts included. <laughs> so... Uh... You are very knowledgeable about this. Do you have like some mind-bending facts or numbers? Let's say, who is the biggest contributor to global warming? What industry, for instance? Where could we reduce the most? I, I don't want to like misquote numbers since I'm very pedantic about numbers. So oh. give me a moment. I'll Google, it. Google it. I'll get okay. the correct numbers for you and I'll cite them to you. Uh, agriculture, even I- excluding animal agriculture accounts for about like 12% of the total emissions in the world. But 12% is not even that, I mean, in the bigger schemes of things, I would have imagined more. Hmm. I mean, aviation is like 2% in, in comparison, right? Okay. Yeah. But what is the big chunk? Is, isn't there like an 80-20 rule? Well, around like 70% is uh, just like how we use energy. Uh This includes cars, this includes heavy manufacturing, this includes a bunch of other emission sources. But honestly, what I care about more is how do we start reversing these emissions. So part of it is obviously that we need better regulation and we need incentives for uh, companies to emit less. But even if we have all of these claims of, yes, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030, realistically, anything you do is still going to incur a carbon footprint. You're not free of this. Mm -hmm. You can reduce it, yes, but you can't, Mm -hmm. as a person, just avoid all of your emissions. So we need to do something climate positive as well in order to get to neutral. Yeah. Currently, it seems a lot of people put the burden of, you know, like unfucking Mm -hmm. the planet on individuals. Like, hey, you should be not doing this hey, we should all eat less of that, we should all travel less, etc. Yeah, yeah. But you're saying that doesn't really make a big splash because it's just too little of an impact. Would you agree with that when you, well, when you mention regulation or you say it's also important? Um, well, obviously, 
I think as an individual, we can have a significant impact like <laughs> on our scale. But the thing is that we can't have the 30% or the 40% or even the 70% of people that think that the world should be, you know, not on fire mm -hmm. in a hundred years. We can't have those people just doing the best that they can and then going to work at companies that don't. Us as individuals can do a lot. But how we're doing a lot is putting pressure on institutions, putting pressure on companies, putting pressures on the organizations that we work at to care about these things. It's mm -hmm. not like an oil company will wake up one day and decide like, you know, <laughs> that's it. We're doing good things only now, guys. We're doing good things only. So far, we've been trying to optimize our profits, but now we have completely reconsidered because we are just nice people. Yeah. And I think it's not even when you when you mentioned this example with the, the oil company, mm -hmm. it's not even like, hey, they're evil. They want to make money. It's like they produce something that everybody needs to survive. Mm -hmm. Right. You cannot survive without oil in today's economy. Mm -hmm. So it's not 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 even that the oil company is actually an evil company per se. Yeah, not necessarily evil. I would agree. Though, for instance, the activities of lobbying as an oil company to align the world's incentives more with oil, for instance, is an extremely toxic behavior that we are seeing. Yeah, okay. No, totally agree with you. It's a good point. Uh, one point which I think is proving the other side it would be like the, the country of Norway, who, mm -hmm. who is benefiting from the oil that they're extracting, mm -hmm. but they are heavily investing in renewables as a society, right? Yeah. So kind of aligning the incentives for the their whole economy and their whole country. Exactly. A, a lot of it uh, comes down to what kind of structures are you benefiting? Mm. You know, where is this money going? What is it doing for you? If we're very profit-driven and how we have structured the society does create this issue that you can often ignore these uh, externalities, as economists call them. I would like to quickly just talk about what is a carbon credit and how does it work, the carbon credit market. And I was sure. thinking today, basically, it's free to pollute the environment, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of companies, they build factories and they just pollute the air or the water and it's basically for free. And it's almost like, you know, like people sitting together in a pool or in a hot tub every day and everybody can pee in the hot tub for free. Like nobody cares. <laughs> Right? Okay. <laughs> and everybody's sitting there and in the beginning nobody even noticed, but like the next mm -hmm. day they come, it stinks a little bit. And after a week, some person get like some rash or something and they decide, hey, actually, uh, probably we shouldn't pee in, in the pool. Right? Mm -hmm. But then also they realize some people... I'll spare you the full extent of my wonky carbon credit pee pool comparison. Res does a much better job at explaining how it works, so let's go on. What you're describing is part of the carbon market. So essentially, we have something very similar in Europe. This is the emissions trading scheme. We are putting up an allowance on how much uh, certain organizations and countries can pollute. There's a budget. And mm -hmm. essentially, we give everybody these vouchers and then they can trade between themselves. So there's like an incentive to reduce the amount of emissions you're Uh, putting out there, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you use less of your vouchers, you can sell them off to somebody else who really needs them. So then we essentially start pricing in the externality of emitting carbon. And yeah. this is what is called the compliance carbon market. So there are many schemes like this around the world. And what they are is a right to pollute. Oh, okay, so we don't have a global one. It's a little bit fragmented. We don't have a oh, global Oh, the carbon market. markets are a complete soup of chaos. This is why I find this to be so fascinating, is that I really would like to create order out of this soup of chaos. So if we're talking about these government-level emissions trading schemes, these have a real value because they create incentives around reducing the emissions that you're putting out. But the thing mm -hmm. is that these are essentially commodities, right? So like if someone buys this one ton of allowance, it's just one ton of allowance. But if you, for instance, see a global logistics company that uh, delivers packages to your door, sending you an SMS going, you know, something to the tune of, we are now carbon neutrally delivering this package to your door. And you go, mm -hmm. how, what, why? 
if you have all of these questions, these are actually not related to the compliance carbon markets at all. So then we get into uh, this other section of the carbon markets, which are voluntary carbon credits. You said voluntary mm -hmm. carbon markets. Yes. That's, that sounds, for everybody listening, sounds like, oh, that sounds dodgy. So historically, how this uh, sort of concept got created was in order for developed economies to incentivize developing economies to build out greener infrastructure. Instead of building a coal plant, you might build a solar farm or a wind farm or something like this. Uh, if we're talking about it, what it looks like today, what a voluntary carbon credit is, I could right now write down on a piece of paper, hey, this is a res credit, you can have it, you know, and you can make claims about your carbon footprint. <laughs> oh, yes. that sounds like uh, and that's like, like super problematic. Tool. That's super problematic, right? There are certain sectors that put limits on exactly what sort of carbon credits you can buy in order to make claims. But this mm -hmm. is generally an underregulated market. But now there's this follow-up question of how do you create trust in this kind of market because it's super chaotic, right? And this is uh, where carbon registries come in. So these are non-profit organizations that set the standards and set the criteria based on which they will issue a carbon credit, which reflects that you have either avoided some amount of emissions or you have done something climate positive and you've actually regenerated the world. And there is a verifiable methodology that has been followed. And there's a third party that vouches that you have followed all of these processes. So the big two in this market currently are Vera and Gold Standard. These are carbon registries that essentially mm, give trustworthiness to these voluntary mm -hmm. carbon credits. They, in a very tangible sense, make these credits real. Yeah. It would be ironic if Vera, the company Vera, would be the gold standard. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> if they would be better than the, than the one called gold standard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vera does have the um, biggest market share. So in like some sense, I guess you could make that claim. Okay. And can we make a, a specific example? Let's say I am a mm -hmm. company, I don't know, distribution company sending you that package. And I am now either buying a lot of these voluntary credits to say mm -hmm. I'm offsetting my costs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or I could just do something, let's say in my warehouse, I'm using uh, better isolation now that were not there before. Therefore, now I can claim this package has been offset. How does it work? I love that. So this is a very good question. And this comes down to, I think, one of the main problems in the voluntary carbon market which is, what are these credits worth? How much does it cost for me to buy this kind of a credit and make a claim about my footprint, right? That's mm -hmm. what it comes down to. Because if the credits are way too cheap, you would just go and essentially do what most people would refer to as greenwashing, because mm -hmm. you went out, bought the like shittiest, cheapest credits you could do. You're actually not impacting the planet in a positive way by doing that. And then you show up with this flashy marketing and go, oh, hey, we're super eco-friendly. We're very carbon neutral. Such wow, give me money, you know, uh, all of this. Mm -hmm. So that's highly problematic and actually is a part of what is wrong, in my opinion, with the voluntary carbon markets right now. Mm -hmm. The thing that I would like to follow this up with is in the voluntary carbon markets, not all credits are created equal. So the thing is, why the crypto innovations we're seeing right now are so cool and innovative is that if you have these voluntary carbon credits, trading them is actually a non-trivial job. You can't just go out and say, hey, I have a carbon credit. Does anybody want to buy it? It's not a commodity. Fundamentally, how these voluntary carbon credits work is that there are buyers who will look at the properties of this credit. How was it made? What processes were followed? How much can I trust that this actually happened? How additional is it? So there, in the voluntary carbon markets, there's these three terms which are very important. Additionality, permanence, and leakage. So additionality 
I'll give you like two examples and then we can discuss essentially why uh, the market is like it is. So we have a regenerative, like a green energy project that was started this year. It puts up solar panels, something like this. Fundamentally, that's already these days quite a good business on its own. Uh, it doesn't need the extra incentives to actually get set up because, you know, the return on investment for solar panels is anywhere between five to 10 years. It's in the energy sector quite attractive. So this wouldn't necessarily be that additional because the act of giving this project money doesn't cause the effect of creating a reduced footprint. Because we can't say if you didn't get this credit, you wouldn't have gone out and built a coal plant instead, like these days. It's mm. a bit of a complicated claim to make. Oh, right? Okay, that's additionality. It's yeah, like me it... buying a, a Tesla and then saying, hey, I now have not used a car, although <laughs> I would have bought a Tesla anyway, and maybe even wouldn't ne never have used a car before. I probably don't even use a car. Now I'm mm -hmm. adding actually a car to my footprint uh, exactly yeah so it's not necessarily additional the act of giving you these credits hasn't created the benefits that these credits reflect mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah so mm -hmm. all the companies that could not do any travels cannot just claim during covid mm -hmm. now we have not traveled and we have actually now created carbon credits because it's not additional <laughs> you, you yeah wouldn't have yeah exactly left the house anyways Yes, the big registries won't give you carbon credits uh, merely because you didn't go out uh, to dinner today. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. though it's really this emerging gold rush of uh, people trying to take advantage of these new emerging structures. And part of this is that uh, the people trying to do these things aren't educated on what quality means. So they say something like, oh, hey, I have a mine and I was going to change out my machinery here anyway. But, uh, you know, if you give me like credits, that would be nice. And, you know, let's make money. And that's not mm -hmm. how it works. The credit has to actually be additional. You have to be able to prove that the existence of this incentive actually created that outcome. So mm -hmm. let's get this uh, different example and you'll understand what I mean. In Iceland, there are these huge machines using excess geothermal energy in order to bind carbon directly from the air and shunt it into the ground where it, through a chemical reaction, gets stored there for 10,000 years. If there was no incentive to do this, this would sound insane, right? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And it's also reflected in the price of these credits. The company I was talking about was Climeworks. So these guys... Yeah, from here, from Zurich, from Switzerland, where I'm from. So these credits are worth somewhere around $500 plus per ton currently. It's not a very scalable tech as it is right now, but it does seem to have potential of uh, being very high impact in the future when we get around the scaling issues of this sort of technology. But the regenerative energy, or sorry, this like green energy project, the ton from there might be at around anywhere between like $2 to $8 right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, the price difference is very stark. And now you as a company, when you're figuring out what do I want to buy to make my footprint claims, you know, <laughs> There, but wait a second, what I don't, what I don't yeah. understand is like, who gave this price tag of 500 to Climeworks? Who gave that specific carbon credit this price point? Is it just the price of one ton of, for them to do it? Yeah, this sort of technology has a very high cost of production. And they essentially couldn't sell it for less because then, you know, they couldn't do the behavior that they're getting paid to do mm -hmm. fundamentally, right? So it's uh, really additional. But the thing is, like, who's buying these sorts of credits? It's uh, kind of these innovative uh, tech companies uh, that want to be associated with the future. For instance, Stripe and Microsoft had both made purchases to these kinds of very highly additional, extremely cool, but not necessarily super scalable projects. They have bought credits from them as an incentive that they want to see more of this happen in the future. Okay. That's what you meant with they are not a commodity. It's literally yeah. like each one, you basically have to decide what project does my company want to yeah, support with, with yeah, this Yeah, exactly. Action. 
this option is going to cost a lot more, that option is going to cost a lot less. We'll end up telling our customers a different story potentially, but it also comes down to the fact that if you really want to just have the carbon neutral name associated with you, as a company, you might be doing this kind of trade-off in your head of how much is this going to reputationally blow up on me if I get called mm-hmm. out for greenwashing, right? So that's part of what comes down to the calculation these days because the market mm-hmm. is so underregulated. But isn't that kind of like contrary to how the market should work? Because how I understood the market is the money should actually specifically not flow to Climeworks because it's so expensive and therefore it doesn't make economically sense to do it. They should rather flow, let's say, to a third world country where they now do a little change, which has a much higher output. Let's say they now put a filter on the chimney of this factory. They can reduce the output for a much cheaper price. Mm -hmm. Isn't that like exactly the idea that this would happen and the money would flow to these projects which have like a a, a big impact with a low price, and that's kind of like what you want to to see in the world. I would generally say that it's complicated. Carbon credits are a social concept, so we've just agreed that you can buy these credits and you can make the claim that you are carbon neutral. But what makes this very cool is the fact that you could be doing all of these really nice things for the planet uh, without the existence of carbon credits. This would just be called the charity. But because you are getting rewarded an asset that we agree has value, this charity essentially doesn't have all the problems of a charity. It's now a business, right? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out, is the business the people who, the the gold standard and the other one, I forgot mm-hmm. the name. Vera. Who, is it that the business or who, who who makes the money in this business? A lot of people currently make money in the business. So the projects actually doing the work obviously need to get paid for it. Then there are the middlemen, the brokers and the traders in the market who connect buyers and sellers and often buy inventory themselves. And then there are essentially at the other end also these companies that are then using this as uh, functionally marketing collateral or they're trying to they they do get like some monetary value out of just being associated with being a positive uh, impact on the world Mm -hmm. hey res quick interruption let's we had additionality you you had two more let's quickly say these and a short description Mm -hmm. yeah sure so the second uh, important factor is permanence Let's give this really easy example that if I, you know, paid you to not drive your car tomorrow, but you just uh, drove twice the day after that, the permanence would essentially have been one day because we just pushed the emissions that you did one day into the next. That's all that happened. When we're talking about these projects that, for instance, interact with nature, permanence is a question because, you know, nature is very cyclical. If we grow a forest today, but we chop it down tomorrow, it's not necessarily super permanent, right? Mm-hmm. The final thing is leakage. So leakage is an interesting concept. And this means that if I pay you to not drive your car tomorrow, but your partner drives you around the city, we have just moved the behavior over to another person. We haven't eliminated it. So this doesn't create any particular value. Mm-hmm. So all these three things together create this concept of quality when we're talking about carbon credits. Okay. I I think (laughs) we have additionality, permanence, and leakage. Yes. And now let's bring this this to the blockchain. Oh, my God. Okay. So (laughs) the problem in the voluntary carbon markets for a very long time has been that these projects that create the credits don't necessarily know what their credits will end up being worth. Since these voluntary carbon credits are awarded after you do the climate positive action, for instance, for nature-based solutions, growing a new forest or growing some additional crops in order to put them back into the soil or build your soil carbon, stuff like this. This has a very long timeline of getting awarded credits up to five years. You have to keep doing these things. And at the end, you get awarded credits. And now there's the question of what are my credits worth? Because carbon credits in the voluntary carbon market are not a commodity. Mm-hmm. So finally, we get into like the story of uh, why I'm obsessed with this market. 
And the thing is that a few months ago, we had the launch of two very important projects in crypto history. One of them was KlimaDAO, which I think a few people maybe have heard of. And the other one was Toucan. So they launched together. And the general model is that Toucan figured out a way to take credits from the Vera registry. And in essentially this sort of accounting maneuver, cancel the credit on the original registry, provably, and then issue that person the representation of that credit on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And Vera um, is obviously this company, which is one of the be- biggest ones that mm-hmm. gives out those credits. So they yes. buy it, they basically destroy it, but issue one on the blockchain. They, they move it to the blockchain. Yes. So it's a one-way operation. Now you have something on the blockchain, which is a representation of some sort of you know positive action in the world, which is mm-hmm. uh, super cool. This is still like a representation of a very specific credit, you know, it has like what year was this issued, it has the name of the project associated with uh, all of these things. And if we're talking about like liquidity, this asset Uh is not necessarily very liquid. So we're getting into DeFi slowly. So it's almost like an NFT. It's like it has metadata. Yes, yes, exactly. It's a fractionalized NFT that represents one ton of carbon from a specific project. So the fun next step here is this is not a commodity. You know, there's no one out there going, I will buy a Brazilian rainforest conservation project named something from the vintage 2019 issued in 2021. This isn't like necessarily a realistic buying criteria. Mm -hmm. But what you might want as a buyer would be Give me carbon credits which have been certified and are from a nature-based methodology, for instance. So we're getting to in uh, DeFi now. So the logic is that essentially you take now this representation of a specific carbon credit and Token allows you to trade this into a commodity pool in return for a token that represents one ton of generic carbon meeting some sort of criteria. Does that make sense? Yeah. Basically, you have an NFT or Mm -hmm. you have a token that represents something very specific. Mm -hmm. But you're saying, we don't really want that specific team. We have to abstract it away. So Mm -hmm. we we put it in a pool and then you buy a token out of this pool and this represents one ton of carbon credits is this token. So you kind of like abstract this specific, specific, kind of specificity, yeah. Yeah, you abstract Mm -hmm. this stuff away and now you have something that is more easy tradable. Yeah, it's an ERC-20 token, you know. And now it's fungible. Now it's fungible. exactly. It doesn't matter which one you have. Yes, exactly. You're getting it. So the point is when you have something like this, you can then just go to an AMM and sell it. You know, it's an ERC-20 token. You can exchange it on SushiSwap for USDC. Yeah. So that's a direct path from getting issued a credit into turning it into money that doesn't require necessarily too many people being involved. Mm-hmm. You can essentially sell it off into the commodity pool. That is what makes this uh, really beautiful. People listening now, they might be confused and say, why would I want to have such a credit? I mean, the good is done. Why would I even sell it? If I sell it, what happens? So there's a question of uh, what value does this credit have, right? And mm-hmm. uh, fundamentally, this has uh, the same value as a voluntary carbon credit in general. You can use it to offset your footprint, but now you can do it on the blockchain in a very provable manner. You can point to an address and go, this was me. I can prove it. Mm-hmm. But you You're, also have to use yeah. it up somehow. You have yes, to burn exactly. it, right? Yes, exactly. So there's a retirement mechanism that goes with this. People that have these uh, tokens that represent the commodity, so Tukan has currently two. These are NCT and BCT. So base carbon ton, which is this very wide ranging pool that accepts mostly everything that Vera uh, has issued. And then we have NCT, which is a more specific pool for nature-based methodologies. And so the logic is that you can take one of these tokens and you can retire that specific thing in order to make your footprint claims. Okay, retire is, hey, I have used this up now, Mm -hmm. right? Provably, used it. Provably. 
Yeah, you cannot sell it anymore, and that's why it is destroyed. And yes. So that when you say retired, it's basically other people will probably say burnt. Burnt, but yeah. Burnt probably has a negative connotation because hmm. burning stuff is emitting CO2. But in sure. the blockchain world, it's not the case. It's just like you have lost this coin. It cannot be moved anymore. It's out of the circulation. Mm-hmm. Its value is destroyed or yes. used up. Yes, this asset no longer can be traded. I have used it up in a provable manner on the blockchain. I can point to an address. I can go, you can look at the transaction. You can see that it's been done. And this is, in my opinion, a beautiful innovation because it opens up this asset that uh, previously has been quite complicated to trade with. And we can now put it directly into all of these things that blockchain is good at, all of these things that DeFi is very good at, and we can plug these into existing things that people have invented. So we can have carbon as a collateral for loans, for instance, or we can have a carbon-backed stable coin. We mm-hmm. can have so many cool things because we have this representation of a good thing that has happened in the world. Why is that Good. Let's mm-hmm. say, I mean, I, I can say one thing which would be good. You take the airplane to Rio for this conference, you go back mm-hmm. one carbon ton, you would buy one of those and then retire it or burn it. And then you would have offset basically this. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you want to do then more with it. Why, why would you want to do more with this token? I mean, the goal should be to destroy it. Yes, the goal should be to destroy it. Now that we have this representation of doing something good in the world, we can create demand for it. So when you have a carbon-backed stablecoin, you increase the demand for these carbon credits existing on-chain. So by giving carbon utility in an ecosystem, you also give it more value. You give it demand. Mm-hmm. The second part of it is what is this like token vision of a carbon money Lego is that now people can make their protocol climate positive. How would they do that? Can you you make an example? Like this would be just baked into the protocol. Let's say when somebody does something, they have to burn the token. Well, let's let's, uh, uh, take this like easier example. So you might have a decentralized exchange. Every time somebody does a swap, some of the fees are redirected into buying carbon assets and then retiring them. So the swap itself, part of the fees went towards making this AMM carbon neutral. You can see how you can build structures around using carbon credits directly built into the system in mm-hmm. a way that actually makes the protocol climate positive. It creates demand for the underlying asset. It creates utility for the underlying asset. And you know this money through the market reaches carbon programs that are doing these positive things. That's cool. I would like to think about more of these examples. But before that, I also want to address a criticism that popped in my mind, mm-hmm. which is there are like a couple of points in this chain that we, we need to trust, right? We need to mm-hmm. trust first in the real world of the company that kind of like is issuing it. Mm-hmm. Then the protocol that is taking this real world certificate puts on the chain Mm-hmm. And then this uh, pool where it's pooled and now everything is the same. And there I see a little bit an issue reminding me of like standards and poors, right? When they did mm-hmm. debt. And if you just mix enough shitty debt, you mm-hmm. just mix it up enough, then it's AAA. Like that's mm-hmm. what happened before the, the subprime crisis when the, the, the market mm-hmm. collapsed in the US. Do you see some problems or is that just currently not the case? I'm going to be very transparent. There are these kinds of problems right now uh, because of the permissionless nature of how these pools work. They have a tendency of attracting the carbon credits that might not necessarily be that attractive in the market. These sorts of carbon pools are inherently going to converge at the cheapest price that uh, someone is willing to sell new credits at. And this might not necessarily be the best uh, credits in the market. This being said, Toucan is working on upping the standards, making sure that the carbon projects that are involved in these sorts of pools are deserving of the money. And they are moving up the quality criteria actively. 
you also mentioned before Klimadao, the Klimadao, mm -hmm. yes, which is a Olympus Dao fork, and mm -hmm. Olympus Dao is kind of like I wouldn't say it's a Ponzi scheme, but it has this Ponzi economics which makes it actually good for Klimadao because uh, it sucks in those mm -hmm. tokens, right? It has protocol owned tokens, so kind yes. of like Klimadao is buying up all those carbon credits. Mm -hmm. And they will never leave there, but they build on top of it another token that is becoming a stablecoin or something like that? I wouldn't call it a stablecoin, but it is a carbon-backed currency. How Klima positions uh, themselves is as a black hole for carbon. So what's been very transformational also for the traditional carbon markets is the incredible demand for carbon credits that Klima managed to create by using these mechanics in the market I mean, people in the traditional markets were freaking out. It raised the floor price of any carbon credit you could possibly find by multiples. In the real world? Yes. Or just the ones that Yes, no, the... in the real world. This had a wow. real tangible impact on the carbon markets as a whole. Oh, really? That's crazy. Yes. So some yes. nerds, sorry, made this on the blockchain and it has a real world impact. And that's positive at the end of the day, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. That's a cool story. Mm -hmm. It is a really cool story. They were the first source of demand for on-chain carbon markets, which pulled a lot of credits in. So mm -hmm. now we have a huge, huge on-chain carbon market that I think at this point includes around 18 million carbon credits, maybe more. It could be over 20 million. But yeah, so this is kind of the first source of demand. So you can really see how the money Legos are at work. Not everybody knows how Klimada works. I, I think uh, that's a rabbit hole that we can go into, but it feels like uh, we would be here for another hour. Let's not go into that L rabbit hole. Let's let's not go into Camelot right now. Okay. You know. Can I can I do just one way of how I would describe how the incentives work? Mm -hmm. First, you have to buy some of these carbon credit tokens. Then you lock them up into Climate DAO in this protocol. Then they give you another token back, which is the Klima token, mm -hmm. that then you can stake. And then they just give you, while you're staking, every eight hours, mm -hmm. more of the token you already have. Yes. So that makes you feel getting richer and richer and richer. Then they also tell everybody, don't sell your tokens. It's stupid to sell because if you sell, the value will go down. Let's just not sell everybody. And a lot of people think they're getting richer and richer and richer. However, and that's where the Ponzinomics come in, it's not really, it, you just dilute everybody. How do you feel about that? I mean, the, the Olympus DAO model has been copied because it's kind of genius, but it's also be kind of not working right now. Uh, a lot of people have lost a lot of money. I don't necessarily want to FUD Klima that much. I think they have fundamentally good intentions in the market. And I, I don't know how much of this uh, recent price action can really be attributed to them in comparison to just people losing a lot of faith in the Olympus model. Mm -hmm. That being said, they have done a lot of good for the carbon markets as a whole. They have proved that on-chain carbon markets can exist and can have utility. And I will refrain from fudding the project too hard. I think there's too much of that kind of on the internet already. <laughs> okay. No, I respect that. I tried just to explain how the Olympus DAO model and mm -hmm. th therefore the climate DAO model works. It's with this insane API. When you lock your coins up, you just get more coins. Mm. And yeah, some... uh, but to be yeah. clear, kind of this like API is like a marketing meme. I think a lot of people might yes see ten thousand percent API or a hundred thousand percent API and think like, oh, I'm going to buy one token today and it's worth ten dollars, and then I will have ten thousand of these $10 credits uh, or 100,000 of these $10 credits in a year. People see this big number and then go like, oh, wow, I'm going to be rich. And it's almost like, you know, kind of a marketing maneuver in a sense. But but that's what Ponzi's do, right? They kind of mm -hmm. like lure people in with a, with a promise that is, when you think about it, doesn't really make sense. I'm not saying that it's a fraud. I, I really don't want to say that. I just want to explain that this model has been copied because it worked very well in the beginning, but now mm -hmm. it seems to kind of fall a little bit apart. 
I'll, I'll be honest, this sort of model attracted a certain kind of people I would call moon boys who really are in it to see 10,000 million percent uh, returns in five minutes. Otherwise, we're not interested. And I, I've seen over time as these uh, sorts of protocols have matured and lowered their APY, this isn't necessarily the community that they have these days. Okay. And, you know, this is almost like a maneuver to get people interested in what the underlying project is actually trying to build. And yeah. that's what I want to get to. So Olympus Tau launched and they amassed a lot of money. They amassed a lot of interest, but also they're building out, I think, with this money, interesting things which are going to be very useful for DeFi in the long run. KlimaDAO on their end are actually now reaching out and building a business out of finding these customers that are going to be retiring the credits and making that as easy of a process as possible. Okay, that's interesting. This is why I don't necessarily want to uh, call these projects like Ponzi schemes. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a type of marketing maneuver that in the short term brings in people, gets people interested. You see this huge number and you're like, oh my God, what, what is happening here? But the more you get into it, the project's still doing something with this interest. And when it works, they attract a lot of carbon credits and they own it and they will not release them. So they are this black hole and they, they are now working on a way, as you said, to burn them, to use them up. Yes, yes. They released a retirement tool that you can go and retire or, as you mentioned before, like burn carbon credits in mm -hmm. a super easy and accessible way. So you can just go there, uh, put in some USDC. And based on the amount of USDC you have, it'll trade that for carbon credits. It'll retire those carbon credits and give you this like nice evidence that you've uh, done something. Would be cool if you could then have like an NFT or something that you could showcase somewhere. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, this is also one of these directions that the crypto money Lego can take in the future are NFTs that are almost like a virtue signal of mm -hmm. how good of a person you are, how many tons of uh, carbon have you retired, mm -hmm. getting like a really beautiful tree that grows over time or something. I, I find that idea to be quite cool. Yeah, I think so too. And especially mm -hmm. combined this with Anon culture, then it's fine to brag, right? I mean, it's maybe <laughs> yeah. a little bit cringy if you do it on your LinkedIn or something, but <laughs> if it's just like to show off on the interweb where nobody knows mm -hmm. you, it could be cool. Tell, tell me... So now you have a new startup. Tell me about Solid World. You remember at some point in this discussion, I was describing that these projects have to wait for quite a long time to actually receive the credits. You mean the projects that are in the real world trying yes. to reduce the carbon? You Basically, got it. the people who plant the tree, the people who mm -hmm. build the technology to suck out carbon out of the air and put it in the, in the ground. These yes. people, yeah. Yeah, they get money later or they get these credits later. So there's a big question of how can they even afford to do the activities that are eventually going to give them the credits? Most of the voluntary carbon credits that are going to be involved in decarbonizing the planet haven't been issued yet. And we need to make sure these organizations get the appropriate resources so they could scale their climate action in a meaningful way. What Solid World does is we tokenize carbon credit pre-purchases, essentially agreements that uh, carbon credits are going to be delivered in the future, and mm -hmm. build incentives around this that we can make sure the projects have the resources that they need to scale their operation. Could it be ex explained like this? There's a project out there that comes to you and says, hey, look, we are going to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and we are probably getting so and so many credits, but only after they have done it. And they say, okay, I buy these credits from you now for a price which is lower probably than you later uh, can sell them once this project is finished. And you, instead of them, will receive these credits. You turn mm -hmm. around, you sell it to the market, you've made a profit yes. and funneled the money they need to them early. It's like you a futures it. market of, of when you buy crops. Well, when you buy crops, you fix the price that you have to pay in the future, generally speaking. But what we do is carbon credit pre-purchasing. 
we do not fix the price into the future. We provide them with the full value now and expect delivery in the future. And the good you do in the world is you will have a pool of money and you will get more and more projects started right now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So pulling new carbon projects out of the ground, scaling them up, making sure that we can give people the resources that they need to scale climate action. And how do you make money? Is this a business or is this a charity? Well, this is not a business. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a charity. Uh, okay. Mm, we have to do a lot of due diligence with these projects in order to make sure that they will actually be able to deliver the credits that we agreed on. The DAO earns a percentage of the credits that are going to be tokenized this way. This is a source of fees. Mm -hmm. And finally, managing offloading these credits once they get certified. Mm -hmm. This is an additional source of revenue for the DAO. So it's not a regular company, it's going to be a DAO? Yes. We currently have around 15 people working on the project actively full-time. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to be increasingly decentralized over time. Like, I don't know, MakerDAO, for instance. Then let's try to understand more the function of it. What do you have to build for this DAO to work? Currently, we're in a very detailed due diligence process of picking out and figuring out what are these carbon projects that we'd like to initially work with that we would like to provide this liquidity to? So there's like this curation aspect. Let's make it specific. What, what are those projects building where, in which region of the world? What kind of plants are they planting? These might be, for instance, a project that is buying up land that has previously been a forest, but is a forest no longer. And they are doing the work of planting trees in that area, which are native to that area, that fit with the ecosystem. And they are stewarding this over the next uh, 30 or 40 years and uh, making sure that this sort of forest will thrive. And will stay there and will not be sold and cut down again. Exactly. You know, planting trees and just making sure that the forest does well is, from a capitalist perspective, almost like an insane thing to do. Going out there, buying land just to create a forest which you do not intend on chopping down, that is something that the carbon credits on their own have the ability of creating. You know, we mm -hmm. incentivize the behavior of going out there and doing positive things for the planet. Yeah. The economical machinery that is in mm -hmm. place that cuts down the, let's say, the Brazilian rainforest and puts soybeans there, because mm -hmm. you can then sell soybeans on the market. You use yes. exactly this mechanism, but instead of cutting down, you plant trees. And what you're farming instead of soybeans is carbon credits that then mm -hmm. you can sell, yes. which means carbon credits must be more expensive than soybeans, else the incentives are not there to do it. Yeah, we want, exactly, you're right. Uh, we want to build uh, proper incentives. So you would look at this uh, piece of land and go like, you know, I don't want to deplete this land. I don't want to make it a desert in uh, 50 years. Mm -hmm. I want there for something to be beautiful here. And... I think this market that we're building out uh, collectively in the regenerative finance ecosystem, I think this is going to allow someone to look at that piece of land and say, I want this beautiful thing to exist here and I can make it happen. And there's no dependence that one day your wealthy benefactor will die or, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there are resources that are made available in order to do this uh, nice thing for the planet. Mm -hmm. Look, now we have carbon credits and people can offset their negative behavior easily and kind of buy a good conscious without really changing their behavior, right? If you have money, I can fly around the world and just buy one of these tokens, retire that or burn that token and feel good about myself. But people would say, hey, that's actually not very sustainable. It just means 
it's a privilege now or a more, even more a privilege doing that than you buying yourself a good conscience, but you haven't really done anything good. Mm-hmm. How, how you, how do you think about that? Hmm. I generally think that the people that are more well off have also a higher carbon footprint. This is just the nature of them consuming more. People in developing countries have significantly lower footprints than people in developed countries. That is just the nature of things. So the people that do have uh, a lot of money should contribute more into also decarbonizing the planet. I sincerely believe that. That being said, uh, I think you make a very uh, good point about buying a clean conscience. And I would hope that buying these carbon credits or supporting the projects that do climate positive things isn't the only thing in your life that you will change. I would hope that you look around you and understand that your actions do have consequences. And just, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but just, I would hope that people live a more mindful life of just understanding how how their decisions are affecting the world. I, I definitely can em- empathize uh, with this feeling of uh, almost being overwhelmed. It, it doesn't seem to be easy to make good decisions, and it kind of never is. The existence of uh, carbon markets is just one facet of how you can help the planet, and it shouldn't be the only one. If you want a clean conscience, I, I think you have to work a bit harder for that.